And so I, I think once I have a green screen, my camera speed frames will be better because right now it's like having to render with the background I could just do without but is now too bright yeah I'm in a dark room too sweet yeah so my my plan is uh, Saturday of tomorrow and Saturday to um, figure out and get my sticks all set up and then um, also get my Toby all set up and stream for the first time on Sunday evening. I think I'm just going to have Sunday evenings
All right, because it just showed up on Twitch. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode five of the Pathfinders podcast. I am Tree Zero Three One One, and we also have. Oh, hi! I'm Naz. I'm the video producer guy. Yeah, uh, and we are your hosts of the the podcast, and we are charting the way through all the vast, nebulous information surrounding Star Citizen and its development. Um, Right now, we are iterating on our schedule um, for content, um, and so we have changed it from being bi-weekly on Mondays to now weekly on Mondays, uh, and instead <laughs> of yeah, and instead of 11 p.m. Eastern, um, we'll, we'll be at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, you know, uh, an earlier time, maybe uh, maybe earlier in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the schedule we're going for. We would have been on this Monday, but unfortunately I had to work, uh, got called in for a mandatory overtime shift. And so starting um, next Monday is when we will really be the, the actual bi-weekly. Uh, Not bi-weekly. Yeah. Or sorry, weekly. weekly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it, we'll get be, it eventually. Yeah, we'll actually be weekly, um, real life schedules and commitments permitting, of course. Um, I just won't show up to work on Mondays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think we have a, a pretty interesting episode for you. Um, because we are doing the weekly episodes now, we are breaking up our content. So our regular content will be um, will, will bi weekly, in which we do the regular segments of the spectrum pulses and the scanner anomalies. And then the bi weeks, um, uh, when we don't have those. Uh, regular pieces of content is when we will be reporting on the news. Uh, so roadmap updates, um, monthly reports, and then other uh, news segment things coming in. Like, uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff going on regarding Gen 12. So we'll be talking about that come this next Ooh, Monday. There have been some excellent, like, uh, dev replies over, like, just today. There's been amazing of them. So many from Sylvan and Allie Brown. So there will be a lot to talk about on Monday regarding that stuff. Yeah. Uh, regarding quite... Gen 12 and Vulcan. Monday's um, going to be a also... big episode. Yeah. the And we'll also tie that in with talk on the... Uh, changes to streaming that uh, seems to be affecting the performance for the PTU right now as well. Um, the PTU is looking, you know, other than the bugs, uh, the bugs, um, what bugs? Yeah, the the performance of the PTU is otherwise, you know, really good or looking really good. Um, I I honestly can't tell what's what play playing experience is more buggy because the like the persistent universe currently has gotten really sluggish, or maybe it's just because I played the PTU. But it seems really sluggish on the um, the the persistent universe, the live servers right now. I'm I'm just really waiting for three seventeen to go live to really trying to get back into the grind. Yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to going live, and I'm hoping they can get things nailed down here soon. It sounds like they're trying for live tomorrow, but there's some pretty big bugs that they're trying to work out. So they did we'll get the see. jittering stuff, so that's yeah. they fixed that. I was able to try it a little bit and man, it was it was smooth. My frames were great, like I haven't seen in a long time. Um so uh yeah, we we, we shall see how it all works out. Um the other interesting uh, bit of news is uh I am going to start streaming. Um I have you know, obviously I already had a camera, but now I have a fancy light. Ooh, dark. <laughs> uh, and I got a second monitor off to my left. And so I'm going to start streaming on Twitch. I'm going to go for Sunday nights 
um, it would be, it's going to, I'm shooting for, um, it would be, let's see, that's 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7 p.m. my time mountain is what I'm going to be going for on Sunday nights. And, and just, uh, I, I did it because, you know, I, I've been enjoying doing this, but I also wanted to play more and I have uh, twin sticks that I haven't even gotten a chance to use and a Toby eye tracker that I haven't had a chance to use. And so I wanted to document uh, me fumbling through all those things for everybody else's entertainment while also, you know, taking questions in chat and just, you know, talking with the community. So do, do you have uh, a link for them? I don't have a link yet, but I will be posting it in the, um, I do have a, a Twitch account because I'm logged in right now, but yeah. I will get the, the link and I'll have that in the, the show notes and the description on YouTube and stuff. And okay. I'll be posting uh, when I go live, same places when we go live for this. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably link your, your channel every time we go live. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that be in, in the chat or whatever, because we're, we're watching the, it on my channel. So they already get to come here. So we need, we need to make sure they get yours as well. And that's a, another thing we want to do is on the, the weeks where we might have a, a, a slow news week um, on our bye weeks is Nazareth want, and I want to do some joint streaming, you know, party up and, and go do things in the first, have some antics, you know, and, you know, and talk about things. Um, and Othmion uh, just uh, dropped my link in chat. And yes, that is me. Ha <laughs> ha I, I have, I've had the account, but I've never actually streamed on it that I can remember, or at least not on purpose. If you want some help with the <laughs> graphics, I can help. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely gonna need it definitely gonna need it but uh yeah and so that that's the the plan going forward we'll we'll see how it goes um but we have a, a few very interesting segments uh this evening um things that uh, are kind of tied together um pretty Accidentally, well yeah yeah uh, not on purpose um uh, ironically uh, and so we'll get right into it our spectrum pulse and the name of this episode is crusader Orison, capital ships, oh my. Um, and uh, if you've been active in the Info Runners and Astropub Discord, you have probably seen this conversation or come Spectrum, up. Or yeah, Spectrum, or if you play well. Citizen, mm -hmm. or if you care about, you know, astrophysics. No, sorry. Yeah. It's been a, an ongoing thing uh, that has gotten... Um, it was a big point of contention a while back before we even got Crusader, you know, talking about like, how is this even going to work? You know, how is Crusader, you know, is it really realistic? Is this even a thing? Um, and it has resurfaced um, since now that we have Crusader and we have Orison um, in game. And now CIG has uh, teased us or, or shown us the um, docking platforms as part of the it's August Dunlow spaceport down at Orison uh, or the docking platforms for capital ships, you know, where it has that docking arm thing that, you know, comes and sticks out just like when you would dock your hammerhead or your 890 jump to a station. Um, and they're showing us, you know, the exterior, the interior of what that's going to look like. And so that brought up a lot of discussion of, okay, well, wait a minute, how the heck are, you know, how, how do capital ships get up and down to, to you know orison you know it's you know if for all of us that have played um you know every one of us should be painfully aware of the travel time to get uh down to orison from space you know from po and then even worse uh back up um and so there's a lot of questions and there's been a lot of interesting discussion that have followed it i i have a i have my own opinions but we're going to present this um 
uh, objectively so that way you can see the information that we have um, you know that there's I've got some good citations and everything as well as some information that I pull from the internet regarding it uh, and so that way you can come to your own sort of you know uh, decision or opinion about what you think about this uh, direction um, and actually uh, Nazareth do you are you able to pull up that uh, our screenshot shower thing that you you've had before um because i have the monthly report linked in the yep. in the show notes yep. if you wanted to pull up that shot and show it on screen that would actually be a pretty good backdrop to to use to talk about all right there we go and hopefully all this works go there we go wait for it always got to wait for the delay yeah, broadcasting to Twitch. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm showing you in Discord. Have the aha. The, yeah, perfect. That looks great. Thank you. So yeah, that I you know first things first. Uh, I thought that shot was really dang cool looking, um, and, and just looking at the construction of the platform itself, um, boy, does that give me some Bespin vibes more than the oh, other yeah. ones yeah. for um. Like who's uh, what was the guy's name that does the in-game shots for for CIG? I forgot his name. Oh, the the camera guy. Yeah, they did the. Um, yeah, I it was the, the what? What do they call those segments on ISC where they um, they focus on B rolls, little shots? Oh, you mean uh, the like meet the dev kind of things? Yeah, um, where they've been talking to different people. I thought that one was really cool, but yeah. I think it's a really cool shot. He knows it shows how it's. Yeah, he definitely does. You know what a cool job just flying around the verse, getting screenshots for things like this. Um, but it shows you know you can see the the connection points, um, how it would go off to the other different platforms because they're all connected and stuff. Um, but it's a very it's a really really great looking aesthetic. You can't really see. I don't think I can readily see, at least not with my eyes, where the actual docking port comes out. But it's nope. you know it's around there somewhere. Um, so just to to start it off. Um, you know, all this, you know, begs the question, you know, the, the timing of it, is this part of Invictus launch week? You know, are we going to see massive capital ships docking at Orison during Invictus launch week? Because uh, the last, um, or last year we had the uh, Javelin uh, docking at the space stations, you know, the low orbit stations, and we were able to get the tour and everything. Um, so is this going to be a, a thing at Orison? Are we going to see javelins flying around in atmosphere? You know, and uh, you know, is this a, a realistic expectation? You know, the timing is is kind of convenient. Um, and so, some some backstory um, on the lore is, you know, Crusader. Um, you know, some most of you may know, some of you may not. Um, is a what's called a low mass gas giant. That's how it's described in the lore. Um, and then, you know, if you if you Google that. Um, you'll find the you know uh, sometimes they're called mini Neptunes, others other times they're called gas dwarfs, um, because these low mass gas giants they are still technically gas giants, but they're <laughs> not you know anywhere remotely as large um, diameter or radius as a actual gas giant that we're familiar with, like in our sto our solar system, um, you know Saturn, Jupiter, that sort of thing. Uh, those planets being dramatically larger than Earth, you know, in, in diameter. Um, but they are still larger. 
um, but these, uh, because they are smaller, uh, and you know, oftentimes they do still have a solid core with a a very thick um, uh, gas envelope, is what it was called when I was reading it. Um, it, it they have uh, a, a small, a, a much smaller diameter, um, much much lower in mass, much closer actually. Um, oftentimes to Earth, you know, only, you know, uh, several times more massive than Earth um, and, and several times larger in diameter. Uh, and uh, for comparison, um, in-game planets are all one-tenth scale. Um, and so if you, uh, in-game, Crusader itself is actually 15,000 kilometers in diameter. Um, whereas in real life, Earth is almost 13,000 kilometers in diameter. So in-game, Crusader is actually larger than Earth in real life, um, you know, actual measurable distance. But it, when you think about it, um, if you multiply that by 10, that means that in diameter, Crusader, um, if it was a real-life planet, uh, which there are ones similar, you know, low-mass gas giants out there, it would be you know, probably about 12 to 15 times uh, the diameter of Earth. And so you, you would have to imagine that it would have a, a pretty thick gas envelope around it, you know, gaseous atmosphere, um, you could know, you, far, you know. Could you imagine trying to go down to Crusader 10 times the size of the atmosphere? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's already, <laughs> you know, it already takes us, you know, quite a few minutes in, in little shuttlecraft. But mm -hmm. you know, in the bigger ships, you know, there there um, are some ships. To... It does take a half an hour to exit atmosphere. Yeah, I, I you know, I've, I've, I've ridden along on an eight ninety when we did it, and it took, it felt like it took forever. Um, and so you can only imagine how other ships, you know, the eight ninety, um which I think, you know, probably deserves a little bit of a rework to get some actual VTOL engines, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> because the 890 is supposed to go into atmosphere and go into gravity. Um, and yeah, Origin has good thrusters, but is that really a great explanation? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, Crusader itself is actually quite large, but it's not Jupiter or, or Saturn large, you know, not by any means. Um and so the other part of that lore is that Crusader has a breathable atmosphere at high altitude. So most gas giants have a lot of uh, helium uh, and hydrogen, uh, and the the colors that we see in them are uh, when they mix with other exotic gases and water vapor. Um, and so that what gets, that's what gives them a lot of their color. Um, but uh, at high altitudes, you know, uh, ostensibly that means that there is a oxygen concentration. Um, within, you know, that, that settles above those gases. Um, so it would seem that Crusader itself is a more exotic gas mixture, where maybe there are heavier gases um, at the uh, below the breathable atmosphere, which allows for oxygen um, and whatever, um, you know, other gases are in the in the atmosphere to be more settled up on the top in that breathable van, uh, band in the higher um, elevations. I guess you'd say. But uh, what, what a lot of people don't take into consideration, um, and, and this is just because it's not a, a thing that most people think about, is that um, you have to have a certain amount of gravity uh, in order to maintain a certain amount of atmospheric density for the atmosphere to be breathable. So you could have, you know, a 20, 21% concentration of oxygen, um, but if your uh, atmospheric density isn't enough, 
um, you A, won't be getting enough actual oxygen molecules to keep you alive, but B, you won't have enough atmospheric pressure in your lungs to keep your own bodily fluids from filling your lungs up. Um, and so like if you are on a commercial flight way up high, you know, 30 something thousand feet, if you lose cabin pressure, um, usually you don't lose it catastrophically or fast, but if you lose cab cabin pressure, um, the point of them giving you the oxygen mask uh, is so that you get enough oxygen to stay alive long enough for the plane to descend low enough that the lack of atmospheric pressure won't cause what's called the high altitude pulmonary edema, where fluid just fills up your lungs and you drown. Um, you know, it, it's a it, it is a race against time for that aircraft to get back down to a a breathable level for humans, uh, because we cannot survive um, in, in atmospheres that high, uh, even with supplemental oxygen, just because there isn't enough atmospheric density. Um, and so, that leads us uh, into these uh, uh, next points. Um, the uh, orison itself is maintained in that breathable breathable yeah with a b band um where um uh, the atmosphere is thick is thick enough um you know for uh, humans to be able to breathe it um uh, but also um it, where the the gravity is lower so that way it's it's sort of just it's not hovering but it, it main you know it's with it stays within this band it actually goes up and down within this band and it's it it says a, a precise position but you know in reality it would be you know the platforms would sink and then they get pushed back up they have if you've ever looked at them or flown around them the platforms themselves have these giant thrusters on them they're called serif uh, s-e-r-p s-e-r-a-p-h thrusters and they're essentially giant um you know, main thruster VTOL engines um, that keep the uh, are, are all synchronized in order to keep Orison um, from shearing itself off um, as it as it it settles down into the atmosphere or when it rises back up. Um, and the in the, the in game lore is actually calls it the Orison massage because mm -hmm. of the, the the rumbling of these thrusters as they're pushing the whole. Um, series of platforms back up into position uh, to maintain themselves within that band. There, there was another sci-fi that did something very similar to that, where it was like the the coming on of the thrusters was more of an event that happened. I don't, I don't remember which one it was, but it was maybe it was a Doctor Who episode. If you remember that, I'd be totally interested because it, it, with the the narrative team is really good about. Um, they take a lot of you know influence from other sci-fi, obviously, mm. um, but that would be a, a really cool thing that they incorporated that's lesser known, um, you know, because it, it and uh, you know they've told us that we're going to get maintenance missions, you know, both for the stations, but you know we'll get maintenance missions for Orison, so we'll probably have to go down there and check on these thrusters and Wouldn't, you know, uh, the don't getting... fail the mission. <laughs> <laughs> get well, I imagine that would be something you would need a certain amount of rep for. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. you could like you go and fix a vending machine, engineer. yeah, you could like go and fix a vending machine to like rep up, and then once you're a like a trusted technician kind of skill level, you could then go and work on the thrusters. 
how many pizza toaster ovens do you have to <laughs> fix at the uh, Lagrange Point stations to to get promoted to be able to work on the serif thrusters? Well, I would. Well, that's R and R. You have to work on Orison. You have to work on like mm-hmm. uh, Orison rep. So you're gonna have to be doing toaster yeah. missions around Orison, which means you're gonna have to have a shuttle, shuttle, and you're gonna have to go to these all these different little landing sites to go and fix toasters. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be a super fun chore. But uh, that uh, to me, that's what it was particularly interesting about it because uh, uh, it, I'm, you know, in in real life, one of my jobs is I'm a flight medic with the Army National Guard. I was a civilian flight paramedic for years, and so one of the big things we get taught is flight physiology, and so we learn a lot about atmospheric density you know, and, and how the changes in in altitude you know affect you and your patients uh, and your equipment, and so. You know, it is important because you do need a certain amount of atmospheric density in order to be able to function. Um, but, uh, you know, that's why these serif thrusters are there in order to keep um, the uh, entire ores and platforms, you know, within that band. You know, they don't want them going up too high because then the air would get too thin and everybody would pass out. But that you can't sink too low because then you're getting into those gas, you know, mixtures that are both uh, below um, the platforms, you know, you can see them in game, you know, you're sitting right above uh, that sort of, you know, uh, you know, uh, area where they mix, you know, and we don't know what those gases are. They could be highly toxic. You know, if Orson settled too low, you know, uh, you, you could be in, in for a world of hurt. Um, but uh, moving on a little bit further into the lore, um, the reason that uh, Orison uh, and the, you know, UE platforms uh, that uh, came before it are built where they are is because of that um, breathable atmosphere. It's not just because of the the low gravity. The low gravity helps for getting the you know making it more feasible to get large ships you know down to those you know uh, repair docks to be repaired and out back into atmosphere after they've been repaired or after they've been manufactured. But it's that breathable but breathable breathable. Why can't I say that breathable? atmosphere um, that is what significantly reduces the the costs of um, working on these ships um, and i i put a link in the show notes um it was a spectrum dispatch about stanton um, from quite a while back and it says being constructed in open air allows the cost of these ships to be reduced by almost 40 percent on the back end which is often passed along to consumers often space captains. <laughs> yeah. um but uh, you know, it, it makes it uh, really interesting because you know they um, that the you know the, the the workers are able to work without being in full-on breathing apparatus. Um, they're not floating around in zero g, so they can probably work more efficiently. But it is the 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 um, direct quote from the the lore that it is the uh, being able to work in open air is what allows the uh, ship construction cost savings to occur. Um, ship construction, but also ship repair and everything. Um, so, you know, that led to a lot of questions, um, you know, regarding, you know, okay, is, is this just hand wavium or, or is it even possible? Is this even realistic? Um, and if you are, um, if you frequent the Info Runners Discord, you've probably chatted with uh, Gizmo Gomez 47. Uh, and Tekton. They're both very active in that channel. And Gizmo Gomez actually has a background in astrophysics, like 
that's what he went to school for. Um, and so he and, and, and Tecton being a, a geologist, um, you know, is apparently really good with numbers. And so the two of them, you know, after a lot of heated discussion uh, within the, the, the server, decided to, okay, let, let's science the shit out of this. Um, let's do the math and figure it out. And so um, they, they tried to talk, those of us who were, who were participating in the conversation and following along, they tried to talk us through it, um, but they ended up making a spreadsheet. There's no way I could explain the spreadsheet, but I have it saved. Um, if you have questions on it, um, I'm, I'm going to upload it and, and save it in the show notes. But if you have questions on what the things mean, um, you you know, by all means, join the Info Runners Discord, and um, Gizmo would be happy to break it down for you. He's a really good, really good guy, gal. I don't know. Person. Yeah, person. Um, but he, you know, uh, basically what it came out to is that uh, the math does make sense with a pretty wide yes. range of um, of low mass. Um, so the way I understood the conversation is that they looked at um, known um, low mass gas giants, gas dwarfs, um, and what their um, what their mass was, you know, based off what we we you know what NASA knows. Um, and they had a, a pretty decent range, you know, based on the, the size of these planets. And they took those ranges and they basically worked through them um, you, and able to say, okay, if it has this much mass, you know, and, and we know about how big the diameters are from this range to that range, they're able to find out that um, for a, a, a pretty wide range of masses um, that you had a pretty decent range where the atmosphere would be breathable for humans um, at a gravity around 30 to 40 percent, um, you know, so low low gravity, um, making it feasible for, or much more feasible for these platforms to be, you know, uh, floating, you know, um, in Orison's atmosphere, but also have a atmospheric density that is uh, breathable breathable by humans, um, and depending on the the mass and the gravity and everything uh, is what fluctuated the um, density of the atmosphere, but it's 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 pretty legitimate, um, and it it legitimizes what we already know um, that uh, coming from Sherry Heiberg, the archivist, she has a background in astronomy, so it is conceivable that she knew this going into it, um, and maybe it was hand waving before, but she altered it or something. But it's 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 pretty legitimate now. Um, there are other things that people have mentioned with like wind shear. Um, I don't know anything about that, and I won't delve into it uh, sensibly. Uh... If the you know, if if Orison is, you know, orbiting or, or rotating around the, the core of the planet with the rest of the atmosphere. I don't know how it would have wind shear, but that's another argument for another day. Um, but it was pretty, pretty There's fascinating. a lot of fluid physics for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way above my pay grade. I, I do statistics. I don't do all this physics stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it would depend on the heat getting to the planet, the rotation of the core, the rotation of the city, and the rotation of the clouds. Interaction of the gases. Yep. Um, yeah, it would you know, it would take a legitimate, like college level physics simulation, or not even college, like the the college simulations that like you continue, like Harvard continue work simulations, the people who are developing new meteorology equipment, that kind of simulation. Yeah. And so there's, you know, there, there's definitely some hand wavium, you know, padding in there, 
uh, in order to make it real. But you know, the the fact that you know, okay, that this is a real thing, um, and you know, maybe the atmosphere is a little bit thin, but you know, it's the it's the 30th century. You know, I'm sure we have you know supplements. You know, you come up with your med gun and give you a shot when you get off your ship. You know, okay, you know, now you're you know you're essentially blood doping. Like if you were you know <laughs> going up to you know a, a town, you know, going vacationing in the Swiss Alps or something. Yep. So this explains how Orison sits in the breathable band, um, you know, and, and how you know it would have about thirty, you know, thirty forty percent gravity of of Earth, you know, allowing for those thrusters to keep Orison, you know, floating. Um, but um, uh, how do you know? We we do know that the atmosphere is still really thick. It's still a long trip down, um, and thirty percent of gravity is, is still gravity. That, that's still uh, gravity. So how do capital ships get down to to Oris and you know to be repaired? You know, like they um, like we know they are in the lore, uh, or or even constructed. You know, back in the the days of the UEE and, and with Crusader now building their large ships, we do know that they um, we do know that they build the um, uh, Hercules there. But ostensibly, we can assume that their other larger ships like the Jupiter are also built there. Yeah. You know, we just probably won't ever see it. Yeah. Technically um, like the, the Jupiter is built there, but we just yeah. may never see a physical Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, but we also know that certain ships like the Javelin, you know, which is what kind of led us down this discussion is, Hey, could the Javelin actually go down to Orison and, and dock as part of Invictus launch week? Um, you know, could the javelin actually actually do it? You know, because thirty percent of the javelin's mass is still a lot of mass. You know, thirty forty percent, um, and the javelin does not have any VTOL thrusters. Um, and so I've linked it. Uh, I've put a picture in the show notes um, from a transmission back uh, in the three uh, three ten patch cycle. It talked about um, flight improvements uh, regarding uh, atmospheric flight. Um, with the initial uh, implementation uh, of some thruster efficiency curves as well as the aerodynamic stuff. Um, but so we we know that CIG plans to make these thruster efficiency curves, I hate to say it more punishing, but give it a little bit more sense of realism. You know, not actually realistic, but sense of realism. I think character um, is a good one. Yeah, uh, give it a bit more character. Uh, they, they're going for a lot more differential or a larger, a big differential between space flight and atmospheric flight between different ships, um, and, and so um, yeah, the, it, I'm just going to read off from this quote that I, I screenshotted, uh, and you'll see it in the show notes. We are also going further, going to further refine the difference between maneuvering thrusters and main engines. The concept is that maneuvering thrusters are built for quick pulses of high thrust. For directional changes, while the main and VTOL engines are built for sustained thrust. <coughs> this means that if you use maneuvering thrusters for sustained thrust, such as hovering for a prolonged time in gravity, they will have a lower thrust output and could overheat or misfire if used too long. This will further differentiate between ships in terms of space and atmosphere. Aerodynamic ships like the Gladius will be better suited to flying in atmosphere as the lift generated by their wings negate the need for maneuvering thrusters to keep them aloft. But if a pilot wanted to treat a, a Gladius like a helicopter gunship, they could only do this for a limited, uh, limited time before straining the thrusters, whereas a Valkyrie with four large VTOL engines would have no problem. So this makes a lot of sense for ships like the Idris, who, you know, um, I think 
the majority of the Idris's or uh, uh, main thrusters uh, rotate and are VTOL capable. We've seen the Idris land planet side. I, I think it was on a moon though. Um, but you know, the Idris has landing gear, the um, bay, the hangar doors uh, open up, make a ramp. Um, it is designed to do that. Um, and so we, we can assume that the Idris you know, as a capital ship would be able to go down to Oris and, um, you know, relatively easily because it's meant to do it on, on planets with, you know, relative gravity. Um, but uh, the Javelin is, um, you know, and, and this is just what we have in game right now. There's probably going to be a lot more movement as far as mass, but the specs that we have on the Javelin, the mass is three times that of an Idris but a javelin has no VTOL thrusters. So even if you're at 30% of, you know, of gravity, a javelin in Orison's atmosphere at the, or Chris Idris' atmosphere at the level of Orison is going to weigh as much as an Idris, but won't have anywhere near the um, thrust capacity for vertical thrust uh, to maintain a hover as an Idris. And with how long it would take for you to fly from space down to Orison, um, could those maneuvering thrusters of the javelin keep it afloat at a very low rate of speed so that it could dock? It just doesn't come up as very, very, um, uh, very realistic to me and, and uh, a realistic proposition. But we know that capital ships get repaired at Crusader or at Orison. You know, we know that they were manufactured there, that uh, Crusader manufactures large, you know, large and capital ships there. Um, and, and so it, um, it, it, you have to figure out, okay, how does CIG explain this in the lore? And, and then if they want it to happen, you know, make it happen in game. Um, and, and does Orson have a need for capital ships to dock? Well, obviously, if they're putting in docking there, there's a need for it. Otherwise, they wouldn't even put it in there. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, delivering cargo um, or, you know, it, maybe you're in your 890 jump mission. I mean, you, you, you could think that... Um, you know, VIPs would definitely want to be transported to Orison, considering how uh, scenic it is. You know, it's mm -hmm. a big tourist trap. Um, you know, so our our oligarchs, you know, traveling across Stanton, you know, and and the UEE in their 890 jumps are, are definitely going to want to dock, you know, at Orison. You know, as well as um, you know, with Quanta uh, or Quantum being introduced and repair being dynamic, uh, if you're able to get your repairs done in atmosphere. At you know forty percent or forty percent cost reduction for your large or capital ship, over what it would cost if you were having those repairs done at a station um, in space, you know it might be worth it for you to make that that trip on down there. You know you may cost you some fuel, but as long as you can make the trip safely, you know you're not missing half your engines or thrusters or whatever. Um, it could very well save you a, a, a big chunk of money because we can we can assume that those repairs for those big ships are going to cost you some money. Um, we have the solution to if your ship is damaged, we have the Argo SRV. You know, it is a space tugboat, space tow truck. This is its its job, um, and it's it's even talked about in the Argo uh, SRV uh, uh, lore. You know, from you know when it was uh, concepted, you know that it can be used to to pull ships. You know, um, from from up off the planet, get them back into space. You know, um, and so ostensibly we could definitely see um, them using that to explain it as well as utilize it uh, with um, what CIG is doing for NPC flight. I could totally see them being able to get NPCs to, to fly an SRV 
and, and you know basically pull up alongside you well you know you, you request permission you know at high altitude above orson um and then all of a sudden a couple of npc you know srvs just pop into existence nearby you know they they you know or they come up you know and then they just pull up next to you tractor beams and then they just sort of hand wave you and, you know gently lowers you down there and, and you know it might uh, might take a little bit but that cost savings might totally be worth it for you you know when your repair bill is sky high um so that was that was my thought on that um the other thought i th uh, thing I, I was thinking about was okay once you're docked how does your ship stay afloat you know is, is that telescoping arm thing really that strong that there there's no sorts of torque going on um you know, and, and maybe your ship just has to maintain its thrusters on and they just plug you in to Orison, or or maybe they could just have little autonomous VTOL thruster drones that latch onto your ship, you know, and, um, you know, or, or Seraph, you know, things that are, are floating. Who knows? Um, but I think that it's a, based off the information that we have and that we know uh, what we got from uh, Gizmo and Tekton, the lore, uh, I think it's a very reasonable proposition that we could have capital ships docking at Orison um, with assistance and whether they make that assistance happen in, you know, and this is capital ships not meant for going into atmosphere. You know, we saw the Odyssey has uh, VTOLs and it's a capital ship. It's the newest capital ship and it's definitely meant for landing on, on planets with gravity. Um, and it has MISC VTOLs and MISC we know has um, Xeon influenced thruster tech. Um, you know, your the Carrick, you know, isn't a capital ship, but it has VTOLs. Um, the Idris has VTOLs. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna see other ships, um, large ships that are going to have VTOL thrusters for, for doing this. Um, but things that are larger than that you know, those are the things we have to consider. You know, is it realistic for the Javelin? Is it realistic for a whole E or D, you know, an Endeavor, um, you know, who knows what else to, to do it? You know, maybe not unaided, but I think it's very plausible for CIG to, to make it happen, either hand wavium or, um, yeah, Othmian Carrick is not a capital, but it does have VTOLs. And so I think it's a, a good breaking point for, hey, Carrick and larger, you know, a lot of them are going to have v, you know, VTOLs when they, if they're not released already, they uh, they will have them when they release, or they might get reworked to have them, to make them more capable when these thruster efficiency curves become more of a thing. Um, because, you know, with the 890 being as big as it is, um, things could get real ugly real quick for 890 owners um, if they only have maneuvering thrusters. And, you know, that could be a, a pretty quick fix for CIG to, to put some fancy origin VTOLs on there to make it a, a more capable ship in atmosphere. I hope you guys can't hear my kids screaming in the background. <laughs> I, I haven't noticed. <laughs> Apparently he just woke up. Oh. Yeah, I, luckily the microphone is pretty only sensitive to me, but sometimes it'll pick things up in the background. Um, but that was my thoughts is, right. you know, using the Argo SRV, you know, maybe uh, autonomous VTOL things that attach to your ship, you know, because they are planning on having repair drones. Why not just have a, a, a VTOL drone, you know, like six Homo. of them attached to your ship. Exactly. Yep. You know, and they just go bloop, you know, and yeah. it's just a, an animation and it makes it look cool, you know, and that way you can turn off your ship and makes it believable. You know, uh, CIG has done, uh, has put in more effort into to less important things, I think. Yeah. So um, I do have one I, image to tack on the end of your little discussion here. 
and that Ooh, an is image? Cool. an image yeah so i looked up the original concept for the javelin mm-hmm. and if you look into the stream it has vtols it has thrusters and that's no it has vtols a... specifically oh the old yeah yeah the, the original concept yeah, of the javelin the... had vtols God, the OG. <laughs> oh boy. That so it, the lore may be running off of this concept. It could be. Except we had the Javelin specs in game and we have the C. We've seen the Javelin. You yeah. know, it doesn't look like that anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. I couldn't yeah. see if it was. <laughs> Javelin uh, has VTOL confirmed. No, you know, no, no. Original it's, confirmed. Yeah. It's been reworked since. Like the Freelancer yeah. lost its VTOL as well. So mm-hmm. I kind of wish the, the Freelancer would kind of get that back i thought it was cool looking but you know that that would probably be a lot of work for him um but uh um yeah i mean it it, i don't think cig is going to rework the javelin to to make it um you know have vtols and landing gear this late in the game but um you know i think that they could definitely you know and i think it's a a realistic thing given where Stanton is and given the history and stuff that this should be a thing for javelins uh and you know whatever else comes we we know there's going to be more ships we know there's going to be more capital ships um whether it's the player ownable ones that you know we we all hope and dream about (laughs) (laughs) so i have on screen now the the new model of the javelin and, oh, good job. Okay. And there's a strut there instead of a giant rotor. Mm-hmm. So, at least according <laughs> to the shape language, no, they are not. They're not VTOLs currently. Yeah. And there's only um, the one set in the front. The back ones don't look like they. The back ones definitely those, do not rotate. Yeah, those are those are main thrusters, and we know the uh, how many of the maneuvering and retro thrusters it has just because we have the the specs that were data mined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure those little wings aren't going to generate enough lift. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, but I I mean, you know, I'd have to smoke a whole lot of hopium in order to think that that would be enough um, uh, to get it to fly in atmosphere. But you know. The, the, the javelin is a a, a destroyer and you know, we're probably going to have more frigates and more corvettes um we know that the stretch goals included the included a cruiser and a battle cruiser you know it does the you know where do the bank or where does the bengal and the pegasus go to get their repairs who knows maybe maybe orison isn't feasible for them maybe it you know maybe it is Synthworld. i don't know you know but i think that the idea of using srvs um is a, a you know, as far as an in-game mechanic would look super cool. Uh, and it's something that they have planned for players to do anyway. Um, and being a ardent Argo fan, I want to see it happen because uh, more Argo, more better. You know, the the little Argos that could. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's just my, my thoughts on it. But it was a, an interesting thought exercise, uh, both from, you know, partaking into it, um, uh, partaking in the discussion, but also um, listening and following along, not listening, but following along with Gizmo and Tecton and some of the other guys, you know, um, guys and gals uh, 
you know, going through this thought exercise, you know, it was pretty, pretty enlightening. And there's a lot of really good ideas going back and forth. Um, the links that I have came from other people. I was taking notes. Uh, and so I, I really appreciated the back and forth. And I know it got a little bit heated sometimes. And, uh, you know, hopefully I didn't rub anyone the wrong way. But, uh, you know, to me, these thought exercises are, are the uh, the best part of the, you know, the waiting game <laughs> while we're waiting for 317 to go live, you know. Um, but yeah, that that's about all I have for the the, the spectrum pulse. Um, and as was thanks for for pulling up the, those shots and, and everything. That that definitely helps to illustrate it. Um, and we can put those those pictures in the show notes as well, just to, to illustrate these things. And the uh, one last little note I have on here how many mm-hmm. how many tabs ago was it? Was the image was the name of the image was Orson Platform Variety. Orson Platform Variety. The is that the one in the uh, monthly report, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the name okay. of the image. The so, sun has gone down, so, so I need to readjust my. So either it's um, a variety of the platform, or just like we have the, what are the names of the platforms we have? Um, this is how this is how many times I go to Orson. Uh, what are the names of the platforms that we currently have? In the game. Oh gosh, there's a lot of them. Um, I am on. Are you talking about the platforms at Orison? Yeah, yeah. They uh, have names to them. Um, yes. Um, hold on, let me scroll up. So there's a lot, um, but it's actually uh, they have good screenshots on the SC Tools wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Magna class Halo, the Polis class Halo. Um, Pearl class platform, Envoy class platform, Prestige class platform, Prestige worldwide, worldwide. <laughs> okay, so the platforms we have access to are Providence, Dunlow, August Dunlow Space. Oh, you're talking about the ones that we land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, those okay. two, those are good too. So it could August be Dunlow, that this is the um, variety named platform. So this is named the variety platform. It could be. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah, who knows? I don't want. Like I'm just saying, the name of this image was the variety or variety platform Orson platform variety. Um, was that capitalized? That's a great question. I have too many tabs. Um, no, it's in all lower caps, not even Orson's capitalized. So no hints there. All right, that's it. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Enough I'm just watching noting. the stream on one screen, and it looks like my um, my light's really bright on the stream, but it doesn't look like it on the 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 ninja thing. It looks fine from here. Like like okay. I said, my my camera is. Oh, I think it just now caught up. I've been ah, adjusting okay. the lighting. Okay. Now the sun's down. I do have a window over there. But yeah, that's uh that's all we have uh for the the spectrum pulse, um and as always, um. As always, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any suggestions or or links, um, you know anything that I missed. Um, you know, I know there's a whole there's a lot of lore in Orson, and so I just sort of summarized it. Um, please let us know uh, in the comments on YouTube. Um, send us a message uh, on Discord. You know, uh, we're always very active in Info Runners and AstroPub, um, and you can PM us if you want. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty fascinating to me. And now we're going to move on to the scanner anomalies. And we're going to start with you, Nazareth. Oh, are we? Got, uh... Okay. Yes. That's, that's it's it's a natural segue because of what yours is on. Well, is, is yours not on 
No, okay, no, you're just kind of farther away. Fine, fine. Okay, so my scammer anomaly this week was a question that we, again, find very often. And it's actually really close to what we actually just talked about with uh, ships docking at Orison. And that's what on earth, or what in the galaxy, is a capital ship? Um, so I looked up so many, like, so many references and things to actually get us into this. So it's a bit harder than just saying from this to this is a capital ship. Let's run through a couple of those. So on the, um, Oxford English Dictionary, or if you just search in Google, it's the one you get up. Um, it is a large warship such as a battleship or aircraft carrier. Uh, MiriamWebster.com, uh, definition, uh, is a warship. Of first rank and size and armament, a major service ship has a battleship, cruiser, aircraft carrier. Uh, is cited as references. And then uh, Collins Dictionary uh, in American English. Uh, it says, obsolete in an armored surface vessel of war other than an aircraft carrier. Uh, that was a, It's kind of an older one. Uh, carrying guns of a caliber greater than 8 inches. Um... I also went through um, the wiki page and just searched up uh, capital ship. And so it actually runs through different definitions of different ages. So in the age of sail, it was dependent on how many uh, cannons you had. So it said before the advent of all steel navy in the late 19th century, a capital ship during the age of sail was generally understood as a ship conformed to the Royal Navy's rating system of a ship of the line as being of the first, second, and third, third or fourth rates. Uh, those, all those rates being number of cannons, basically, on the ship uh, per size, cannons per size. Um, and then of the second one, this is now in steel, the kind of where steel came in. Um, I actually have it mislabeled in the notes. I'll fix that uh, later. Uh, in the 20th century, especially in World in World Wars one and two, typically capital ships would be battleships and battle cruisers. Of all, all of the above ships were close to uh, 20,000 tons displacement or heavier. So it back. So then, when we get to the Age of Steel, we're no longer counting how many guns it has, but how many tons of displacement does it have. Uh, so we've changed what a capital ship means already. And then it was even later, um, in 1942, aircraft carriers were then decided that they were also going to be called capital ships. Um, and then in addition to that, nuclear submarines uh, would also later be called capital ships. Um, only some of them were. And they would also be given names uh, that were only used for battleships. So... Dreadnought or Vanguard as well. So that is how we've gone through in the real world different capital ship classes and how to define them. Um, in Star Wars, it gets a bit closer to how Star Citizen's going to do it. Um, and they just went, we're just going to throw out all the other classifications and we're going to stick to this uh, uh, length system. So capital ships, again, much like Star Citizen, have corvettes, frigates, cruisers, uh, heavy cruisers, star destroyers, and battle cruisers. Um, and those go 1 to 200, 2 to 400, 4 to 600, 6 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000, and 2,000 to 5,000. And those it's are. It's interesting that Star Citizen seemed to very much mirror the Star Wars classification so the, system. One of the biggest. At least by name. Yeah, biggest differences. Well, those are just classes. Um, mm -hmm. 
We also have carriers, which they didn't define in the article I uh, found for Star Wars. Because um, Star Wars definitely has a lot of carriers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all capital class ships. So there's, I don't know how exactly to word the different class hierarchy, because there's the class of the ship, a.k.a. Corvette Frigate, and then there's the class being it is a capital ship. Or designation, I guess, maybe. Class and then designation. You would know better. Um, these are Navy terms. You're closer to that than I am. Um, and <laughs> so we don't really have in Star Citizen, we don't have a length um, determiner for class. So we don't have a frigate is X um, length. Mm-hmm. We more have a it is this purposed. Um, and so we have stuff like the 890 jump being 205 meters is called a capital ship. The Polaris being 155 meters um, is a capital class. The Idris being 255, the Javelin being 480, the Bengal being 990 are all capital class ships. So what the uh, SC Tools wiki has is just anything over 150 is capital class. So we may have, like, that is the only, and that's, I can't even find a reference for that being the thing. And just to give you guys, if I can actually find the page here, the difference between a Polaris and a Retribution, which are technically both capital-class ships, is this right here. This is the difference between... uh, This is the range we have so far for capital-class ships. It is the Polaris and the Retribution, so the Polaris being, again, at 155 and the Retribution being at 2,789. You can barely see it. (laughs) Yeah, so in my personal opinion, it's too big of a gap. And I feel like that we should find, maybe even exclude the Retribution from the Capital class, and that can just be the Dreadnought class, and then pull the uh, Capital class up a bit. Even though Corvettes technically are um, capital ships in all other name, uh, there's another thing that I forgot to note here, that in all of the definitions, every single one, um, the Navy or military, some form of armament, or not armament, but um, arms forces were noted as being part of, that's the uh, wrong thing, uh, being part of the definition for a capital ship. But in the definition on Star Citizen's website, the whole E and D are capital class ships. The 890 is a capital-class ship. So we've taken this was-only-a-Navy thing is now just, it's a big ship. It is over 150 meters. So we don't really have a good, firm definition, I guess, of what a Star Citizen capital-class ship is. And this is kind of Mm -hmm. a, a topic I really wanted to cover because I always thought that, or I always had the opinion of capital ships don't come in till... Uh, javelin size and up and that was my like personal opinion that i've always held and i kind of still hold it but i do understand that it is more about the job of the ship and corvettes have a specific job which i also read an article on reddit today uh that the polaris makes zero sense as its job Uh, (laughs) so that was a fun one to to look up um Hmm. the so that is where we're at so we don't have well, and something to think about too is, mm-hmm. you know, the I think CIG even calls the reclaimer large, 
the Reclaimer is 155 meters. Oh, is it? As and so is the Polaris, but the Polaris is growing. We don't yes. know how much, but we do know it's growing. You know, uh, by a good little amount just to to fit everything in it. Um, but the Polaris also has multiple capital class components, whereas the Reclaimer only have the one. Um, and Othman brings up a good point in chat. Um, you know, and this is his uh, opinion, but if it's got more, you know, he says if it's got more than one capital class component, then it's a capital ship. Um, and we know that the Polaris is going to have multiple capital class components. I think it was the power plant, uh, the shields, and the cooler. I'd have to look it back up. I, I saved it somewhere. But these, I think it was at least three of them are going to be capital class components. Um, as well, uh, on top of the radar. I'll have to look that back up, but I know it, it's going to have multiples, and it's also going to be above that 155 meter length. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm trying to remember the 890, and I don't own one, so I don't spend too much time thinking about its uh, what it has. But um, and for some reason, SC Tools isn't working for me right now, or to, to show up all the specifications. But how many capital class components does the 890 have? I'll give you that in about three seconds. Um... Um, so that's interesting that you bring that up but there is also the I'll, I'll call it a problem with their naming scheme Um, that until Star Citizen the mm-hmm. capital de- uh, designation has always been given to military based ships yep uh, so let's see capital class Um, what is capital class what size is it is it specifically size size C? 4 Okay, that's four. Um, it has power plants, coolers, shields. Okay, drive. so it has multiples, and it's good size too. It's probably still bigger than the the Polaris when yeah. it gets bigger. Um, but that'd be interesting if you know, and and we don't know why CIG says capital because you know the the capital class docks aren't just on capital class ships. You know, the Hammerhead has one. Um, and so, unless you know, well, it's supposed to be a Corvette. Is capital. it though? Once you call something a Corvette, it puts it into the capital, uh, capital, yeah. uh, range. Mm-hmm. So, it, like but I said, it's, it's, it's capital class components. You know, they're, they're it, all it's, over the place. Yeah, they have all sorts of weird definitions that cross way too much without actually giving a good firm. This is what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're actually missing a lot of. Um, classes for ships like job classes like uh was it point ship was one that i came across that was so i was trying to say the players should have been a point ship but it doesn't and so it's broken in its current design hmm. uh the hammerhead has size five guns but no size four components so not capital class components so it's not and then it, yeah. it's how same long. with the the nautilus and then no capital class components. And it's only 120. So calling it a a Corvette, which it does, the career, oh no, the role is Corvette. Okay. Is it's smaller than a Corvette, though. Oh, that's so obnoxious. So this is this is the thing I wanted to like uh, bring up that there is no actual concrete evidence on what exactly a star citizen because every everything when you pull it into fiction specifically sci-fi is going to have its own definition because they have to uh bring the 
metrics of real life forward hundreds or thousands of years, and then they have to remake their own metrics. So as far as Star Citizen is concerned, all ships became um, defined as Navy terms. That's why we have all of these uh, capital class civilian ships. But they lost their concrete definitions. So we have Corvettes that are too small, or we have uh, really small capital ships. And just as like a tack on extra bit that I learned while doing all this research, a flagship is wherever the general or wherever the ranking officer is. It is not a specific ship like a you can have several bangles, but there's only one flagship. And that mm-hmm. it, and the flagship is almost always not your <clears throat> biggest ship. It because your biggest ship is your biggest target. So your flagship is probably a smaller frigate or corvette. And it's just wherever the ranking officer is currently standing. If the fla- if the ranking officer took a shuttle from one ship to another ship, the flag flagship name would transfer. Mm-hmm. So, just as a thing I learned while going through all this, and I know it's a bit shorter, definitely shorter than the the uh, Spectrum Pulse, but that is what I learned this week in trying to define a capital ship. It's. It's pretty interesting to me that uh, how closely the uh, Star Wars uh, one that you put in mm-hmm. uh, mirrors what um, CIG has for sizes, mm-hmm. as well as naming for what's in capital. Like, cause, you know, in Star Wars, they a Corvette is a capital ship, and it says 100, 200 meters in length. Polaris Corvette, 155 now, going to be a little bit bigger. Um, and then Frigate, you know, the... Uh, Idris fits in that frigate range. Cruiser, well, that, you know, in Star Citizen, it is a, a destroyer. Is there something... But, you know, fits in that range, you know. Um, you know, and so, it, you know, obviously it gets a whole lot bigger. But, you know, I, I thought that they it was interesting that they, uh, maybe maybe that was part of their influence for, for how they, they came up with it. Who knows? Yeah. I wonder but if it, there's it, a... It would be awfully coincidental. <laughs> So, getting a quick uh, scan to this other article I just pulled up, uh, ships, Ship of the Line, which I assume I'm reading this very quick scanning. I may be completely reading this wrong. Uh, they were smaller ships. So Ships I, of the Line were big. Oh, they were big? Okay, then I'm reading the wrong yeah, sentence. The ships of the Line are like first, second, third, and fourth rates. Okay, so <clears throat> is there a term that is just below capital but still has like the prestige of capital? Because that's what the that's what the hammerhead would be. Because it's not a capital ship, it's a guns platform. It's a, it's too well, small. Lore, it's, it's just too small. Yeah, in the lore, it's called a gunship, mm-hmm. and like it's a big uh, ship. A gunship and a patrol ship. Same with the. Uh, um, and then what is the Percy is also called a gunship and a patrol ship. I think it is. You know, the, the Nautilus is, is only called a mine layer, you know, whether it's tactical or strategic. Oh, they better not call that a, uh, what is it called? A uh, Corvette. Yeah. Like, what, what is the, what's the size of the poor Nautilus? One, two, five. They yeah. <laughs> the Nautilus is the biggest of the large um, combat ships. Well, it still has another to... 25 meters to go before it gets to the Corvette class. Yeah, and that's the old, you know, 
Polaris. We don't know how big it's going to be, but you know, if the Polaris is the the Corvette class, and now it's 175, you know, it's a a pretty su- substantial. And the Hammerhead is still smaller than the. No, they're yeah. gonna, they're going to call. They're going to the call it. is 115. The Nautilus is 125, and the Perseus 105. Right. Uh, Perseus, you said. Polaris is yeah. yeah. Polaris is one five five, and then the Perseus. That's Polaris again. Perseus is one hundred. Do they do they call the Perseus a uh, a Corvette too? Please tell me they didn't call the Perseus a Corvette. Um, let's see Aegis Hammerhead. They called that a Corvette. Um, Aegis. This doesn't have stuff that's not released yet. Okay. Star Citizen. And Othman is saying, no, it's just a gunboat or a patrol boat. And those are those are classes. You know, gunboat, patrol boat, uh, patrol ship. Those are classes that are used in, in modern navies now. Um, gunboat has been used in Navy terminology for centuries. Um, so it's uh, you know that that's a definitely a continuation, and it it speaks specifically to their role, especially given the Percy um, and the Nautilus uh, specifically being used um, to patrol and protect the the Perry line uh, with the Xi'an during that long Cold War. Uh, you know that that was totally their their job. You know, and it would be a lot more efficient and cost-effective to, to cover that space with ships like the, the Percy and the Nautilus than it would be to have, you know, giant cruisers and battle cruisers running around all over the place, you know, trying to cover that ground. Yeah, so both the Perseus and the Hammer, or the Nautilus, both the Perseus and the Nautilus are large size. Mm-hmm. Focus Frigate. What? The, the Perseus is a focus of Frigate. Yeah, I, I'm going to I chalk that up to a typo. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> like, I just wanted like the capital, the what tried to define what capital was, because I know like every term they use is going to have some. I uh, was uh, translation done to it. A warship. Uh, so I'm reading the definition for it. It's a warship with a mixed armament, generally heavier than a destroyer. But the destroyer we have is the javelin. Well, even in real life, you know, frigates are smaller than destroyers, like with the U.S. Navy, you know, and other modern navies. So. Why does it say it's normally heavier than a destroyer? I don't know. Okay, let's let's find a different, not Oxford. Um, uh, built maneuverable. Not being frigate built. Yes, but where is oh boy? Uh, now there's a super heavy frigate. Um, that's gonna take a lot more ring. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna not do that ring for now, and I may come back and I do <laughs> I may do another. I will probably do another um, scanner anomaly for classes of ships, and why CIG has it all wrong? Why? Does CIG have so many um, astro, uh, astro, not astrophysicists, but astronomers, I think is what it is. People who know how the universe works, and they're getting that spot on when they can. 
but they have nobody that's worked in the military to get the classifications of their ships. Yeah, hire me, CIG. <laughs> like you, um, I'll sleep on fire, this new Like <laughs> we're not gonna talk with the couch. <clears throat> yeah, because it's all made up. You're right, but they they got their their astrophysics correct, and they're building a story mode that has to do with being part of the navy and they don't have their terms correct for the navy i mean yeah correct is i guess subjective for them but yeah no that with the, the the astrophysics stuff and the, the astronomy stuff the after digging deep into the um the discrepancies in the star system sizes between uh, sc tools and what was on the uh uh, what's on the arc star map mm -hmm. um, when i found all those changes that had been documented um you know <clears throat> over the years and they, they just haven't been documented over the past two years <clears throat> those changes uh, are are very much in line with making the uh, star systems more realistic as far as the where the planets would be how you know um you know where asteroid belts would be uh uh, the the types of suns and everything you know where the green belt would be and so you know sherry is going through and she's redoing someone else's work in order to make it you know oh no no this we gotta we gotta fix this yeah. you know this I think one's she's, small she's this one needs to be farther more. away yeah mm -hmm. this you know this one needs to have more mass you know, or larger diameter that sort of thing um and, and yeah yes, i was looking more on, the, like they do change like that was that was one of the points like um we have to like adapt these but they've lost all meaning like frigate is now a class and a focus that we just read it's no longer this is what a frigate is it's basically uh, the same way we have music genres today you can come out with a metal uh album and call it christian music it doesn't really matter it's just whatever the heck the band wants it to be they could call it a <laughs> pop single and it'd be a complete album of you know, death metal. It doesn't matter. There's no one to tell you what it is. So Aegis could come out with a railgun, just a railgun ship, and call it you know a touring vessel. Just because that's the kind of... just <laughs> That's just the kind of like space we're in. Um, <clears throat> so it's just... That's... It's just upsetting. It's just upsetting. And that's not even like, that wasn't even the point because the point was trying to find capital. And it's apparently anything above 150 is the clearest we can get to. Cool. Well, if you don't have anything else on that, I don't as well. <laughs> could rent for longer, but now I'm good. <laughs> we'll move on to the uh, uh. our last part of the, the segment, my scanner anomaly. <laughs> Um, and this one just, it, it, it happened spontaneously from me reading lore because that's what I do. Um, I haven't I read enjoy... this, but if you get something wrong, I'm going to have to fight you on it. <laughs> um, but I, I, I always go back and I reread a lot of the lore just because I find it really interesting. Um, and like Paul, uh, Paul Shelley, Astropub Shelley, um, you know, the, the bartender at the end of Twitch or wherever, um, always says, lore influences gameplay and it is so incredibly true the lore is not silly uh contrary to what some people might might believe um 
And, and this is one of those things where I just sort of happened upon it. And I'm like, you know what? This could be lore stuff that could definitely influence gameplay in the future. Um, maybe not soon. Um, give may, maybe not soon, but it, it could definitely be a thing. And, and so I was, I, I don't remember how I stumbled upon it or why I was rereading it. I think I was doing stuff, um, you know, researching the, the, the war against the Vanduul. Um, and I was rereading the lore on the Caliban system. And so Caliban uh, was initially found on accident um, by um, Ashley Gone um, uh, when she uh, stole her family's ship in order to escape her family. Uh, or sorry, um, I'm reading the wrong one. My bad. Uh, found <laughs> by Ashley Gone in 2341 when she QT'd to escape pirates in the Null system. So she was she was uh, traversing the Null system. She was attacked by pirates. You know, she fired up her Q drive, uh, QT drive and just jumped. You know, which also points to hey, maybe you won't have to. You know, we're eventually not going to have to align to specific things. Yay! Um, but she just jumped to try and get away from them. And when she came out of quantum travel, uh, she scanned the area to see if they had followed her or tracked her down. She's looking for more more, more pirates, but she found an anomaly nearby her. Uh, and it turned out to be the jump point to Caliban. Um, so um, she immediately returned to, it, back then, it was the United uh, Nations of Earth. It wasn't even the United Planets of Earth or the United Empire of Earth. It's still United Nations of Earth. Can I just say I um, love the UNE logo? It's it screams Art Deco. <laughs> it does, and it just makes me think of the Incredibles. Okay, then I go. We, we we're going through a phase yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, but so she returned to the UNE, uh, and this is me reading from the lore. So I might have the the timeline might be wrong, um, whether it's UNE, UPE, or whatever. But she named the system after her father, um, and uh, so when uh, the UNE Pathfinders got around to exploring Caliban. They found an abandoned human settlement uh, on Caliban 4F. Uh, so that would be one of the moons around Caliban 4, which is a gas giant. And the settlement had uh, a lot of valuable ore there. Um, it had been abandoned, but there's a lot of valuable ore there. And so it, it showed that, hey, wait a minute. You know, uh, Ashley wasn't the first person to, the first human to, to find this system. There were people there before her. Um, and uh, ostensibly because of the value of these ores and whatever else they were they were finding or, or working on was the reason uh part at least part of the reason that they didn't tell the UNE hey there's a system here there's a jump point here you know we're going to sell you this information maybe um the information wasn't the most valuable part of the system and so that got me thinking how many other systems are there that have been found um where the person who um officially found the system and is officially given credit wasn't the first um, human being to go to that system wasn't the first person to discover it uh, and so i did a, a a cursory search just going through the lore that we have on sc tools and the the links in their citations um, but there's a lot of the lore in sc tools that isn't complete because so much of what we have on the star systems comes from the um uh, lore Maker's Guide to the Galaxy videos. And I wasn't about to rewatch all of those <laughs> to try and remember which ones, um, but they do a really good job going through those videos uh, of telling you the entire history. Uh, and a lot of it isn't in the, the Galactic Guide comlinks yet um, that we do have. Um, and it's not in the, um, the uh, Galactopedia. 
Yeah, so if you are really interested in the lore of the star systems, go and watch those videos. I really enjoy them. I, I've nerded out on them, but I obviously haven't committed them all to memory. <laughs> but the one I, I was able to find um, three additional systems, uh, four including Caliban, where the official credit um, was not the uh, apparently the first person to to find uh, or explore the system. And the the next one um, that I want to talk about is the Helio system. And so the uh, official record and the official credit for discovery of the Helio system actually goes to the advocacy of all people uh, or of all groups. And this is the, the only time in the history of the advocacy where this has occurred, where they've gotten credit for discovering a star system. Um, you go, guys. And so the, yeah, good job. <laughs> you know, way to go, you know, <laughs> space FBI, you know, you know, tread on me harder and, and find another star system. Um, but uh yeah so the advocacy advocacy agents had been um assigned to track down a uh, a particularly elusive group of outlaws in the odin system um uh, and um so they were trying to track down these outlaws that have been attacking these mining convoys uh you know because the apparently um the, the coil and the areas around that and I forget the name of the asteroid field there, um, is pretty valuable, or at least was at some point. Obviously, Shubin is there mining. Um, we know that from Squadron 42. So we know that there's some some valuable mining there. But the these outlaws have been attacking mining convoys in the Odin system, and the the mercenaries and security that this uh, these companies were were hiring they they just couldn't track them down they they you know hit them they'd hit and then they'd run and they'd just disappear and they thought that uh, you know maybe they're hiding out in the coil they found some you know um, secret path through the coil that they could safely navigate they just couldn't figure out where they're coming from well so the advocacy got on the case and they were able to to backtrack them. And they realized that these pirates had discovered a jump point to another star system. Um, and so these pirates had a base of operations in the Helio system and were using that base of operations in Helios to, to hide. Um, and they just go through the jump point and uh, attack these mining convoys and then return back to the jump point with their spoils. And, you know, uh, I'm going to guess that's a really old lore piece. It could be. I would have to go back and, Odin and look. Odin is nowhere near Helios right now. Is there no jump point? So, we have Odin over here, and to get to uh -huh. Helios, it's Nyx, Pyro, Stanton, Magnus. Oh. Uh, See, I didn't go through Tannis, and look at all and then Helios. It, they're on literally the other side of the Empire. So it must have been another system instead of Odin. I'll have to go I like to Nyx is there. The Nyx is right there. Can you zoom in for me? Yep. To Helios? Oh, Helios. Okay. Helios. Helios. We have Ellis. No, we have Tannis, Genesis, Charon, Tile, uh, and Gross. Or Goss. Mm. I'll have to see how they retconned it um, or what they changed. Because I think that was from the old Galactic Guide. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I didn't go back and rewatch the, the Lore Maker's Guide video. But it it was you know it was in the lore, um, but you know they, they talk you know to me that's pretty cool you know these pirates you know instead of you know because they obviously can't sell this information to the UE yeah. the UEE you know hey um, we, we want to sell this information but we don't want to go to jail uh, you know can we go to a few years knocked off our sentence you know that sort of thing uh, but so they used it to their advantage 
You know, they discovered a, a, a star system and they didn't tell anyone because they knew they could you'd use it for to continue their their piracy operations and be more successful. Um, the next system that's like this uh, is the Horus system, uh, which was officially discovered in 2528 by Marie Santi. Uh, but uh, so this is the one where um, Marie um, was a. Uh, uh, running from her family, she was escaping her family, and she stole a ship or, or stole her family's ship in order to escape her family. Um, and um, for years, neither she nor her ship were were seen. You know that she just fell off the map. Um, you know, there's no record of her anywhere in the UEE um, for for a number of years following her her escape from her family. Don't know why she was escaping, but she escaped. Um, so. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that she um, found accidentally found a jump point uh, to the horror system and spent years alone in this system uh, charting and exploring the, the entire system. Because when she finally did come forward with her discovery and, you know, uh, and her claim to the UEE, um, not only did she have the coordinates of the jump point, you know, um, but she had basically mapped out the entire system. Um, you know, it had meticulous scans of the planets, the asteroid belts, you know, the whole thing. And so um, instead of, you know, selling the, this information to the UEE and just selling the, the location of the jump point for pathfinders to go through the jump point and then explore the system on their own, she did all the work and ostensibly got paid a crap ton more money um, for all the information because, you know, she's, you know, doing the exploring and selling that data. Uh, and so there's a, another really interesting gameplay uh, implication for explorers where, you know, maybe you don't just find the jump point and, and go and sell that information right away to the UEE. Maybe you find the jump point and you keep it secret to your, yourself and you spend some time exploring the system or you bring in your, you know, your org of explorers and you guys map out the whole system and, and explore the planets. And that way, when you do sell the information, you know, um, you, you get a lot more money for it, you know, rather than just the, the jump point coordinates. You know, that's a pretty substantial gameplay implication other than just, oh, I found the jump point and here's how to navigate it. You know, there's a whole lot more data, you know, and information that you could you could catalog uh, and make money off of, especially if you sell it to the right people. Yep. Maybe you don't sell it to the UEE. Who knows? Yeah, um, Shubin wants to buy it for sure. Yeah, she, there's plenty of... Uh, uh, of organizations and corporations in the uh, somewhat dystopian universe of Star Citizen that would be happy to to go about that and you know go mine out a system and not pay taxes or something. Mm -hmm. you know. um, the next system, and this is not a again not a completely exhaustive list. I'm sure that there are others, um, but the next one is the Nemo system. Uh, and so a employee um, of a terraforming concern in the forest system um, was apparently um, out doing uh, routine patrols um, and um, but uh, you know he went missing uh, one on routine patrol and they sent out search parties and everything and they're looking for him and then all of a sudden he just magically reappeared and oh everything was fine sorry you know had a malfunction or whatever uh -huh. um you know but then promptly quit and after quitting apparently 
lined up a bunch of investors and started up a company um, called Nemoco. And then Very shortly after, yeah, uh, well, the, the, the system wasn't found. And so named the system after the company that he had just founded and named. Um, but apparently he, uh, uh, be, you know, made himself a partner in this company, found investors, and, and then all of a sudden announced, oh, we found a jump point, and it's an all-access <laughs> jump point, meaning it's a you know, very, very large jump point. Uh -huh. um, but they didn't announce it until after the company that he had he had founded with these investors had bought up all the terraforming equipment at a super low discount price from the company that he had quit because they uh -huh. were terraforming a planet in Flora. So this company, you know, has has been terraforming in for, in the forest system and is you know struggling. They've got a bunch of debt. They need to sell all this massive terraforming equipment. You know they don't want to deal with it because it'll have to be uh, uh, deconstructed to to make it out of the the jump point to go get reused somewhere else. And so they they you know uh, they sell it on the cheap in order to cover their debts to a company. You know that one of the founders and the partners is one of their former employees. And, you know, literally they, they buy out this stuff and then they announce, oh, there's a, a system with, you know, we found a jump point to and it's got terraformable planets. So this company that's, you know, struggling right now is like, hold on, wait a minute. And they try and go back and search through all the records and see if there's any way that they can find and prove that this guy found the system, uh -huh. uh, the jump point in the system while on, you know, uh, on uh, company time. Because then they would have a claim, yeah, to to, to some of those resources uh, or to the the system itself. Um, they could never prove it. The 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 records were on a ship that was sold and never you know couldn't be tracked down. Uh -huh. uh, and so yeah, that that company in four eventually went out of business. Um, and Nemoco you know helped terraform. Um, uh, I forget which planet it is in Nemo. It's a water planet, but terraformed it. Um, it's a tourist destination. There's a whole bunch of um, gas extraction there. Um, and they were actually successful for a little while, but due to mismanagement, eventually the company went out of business. But it, it goes to show you that, you know, um, you know, here's a, a, another perfectly viable reason and way that you could find a jump point to another system. And maybe you don't, you may, you know, because it, it, this there was a two-year gap between when this event where he went missing occurred, and when um, they announced uh, he, he had founded the company and announced that uh, they had found the jump point. And so, you know, maybe it's uh, you know, you find a jump point and you're a newer player and you just accidentally happen upon a jump point and you find a system, but you don't have the resources to exploit that jump point. And you're like, well, I could just take the 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 quick cash out payment, you know, the, the lump sum payment from the UE, uh, the UEE, and, and sell the information. But uh, maybe you did a cursory scan. You're like, oh my gosh, there's so much valuable stuff here. I don't want to just sell it to the UEE, you know. But I don't have the the means to exploit it now. Maybe you hold on to those, you know, that information, you know, and, and you you know grind up for a year or so in, in order to be able to, you know. Uh, exploit that information or the resources in this new system, you know, uh, without, and, and you just hope that nobody else finds a jump point to it. You know, you keep it to yourself. Um, but uh, so those are some, some lore suggestions of, of why this might be profitable. But then, 
you know, you could have a lot of times you hear people say, well, what exploration gameplay is there going to be? You know, that we've already explored, you know, we've already found all the systems. There aren't going to be any more. Or, you know, CIG <laughs> takes so long to make star systems. You know, they're not going to make new star systems for us to find jump points to. Then Au contraire. Build, then why'd they build a ship? Yeah. If that was the case, why do we have ships like the Carrick and others that are designed you know, to be better at finding jump points and navigating them? Not just to find new routes from systems that we already have, but to find new systems. Um, and this is part of the reason that we have Planet Tech V4. And this is me getting on my tinfoil hat a little bit. Um, but this is... You know, we have Planet Tech V4, so that way the the designers can build star systems quickly. You know, in order to build out this universe that we have on the Arc Star Map. But we know that the the most time-consuming part of build star, building star systems is building the bespoke elements of them, the the landing zones, the space stations. Um, they're going to be able to do these things more procedurally, but it's still going to take time to build. Um, you know, Terra with its three landing zones because they're all each going to be different. But it only takes a couple of designers a couple of weeks to build a planet from scratch. Just a uh, just a planet, you know, with biomes. I and... thought that was a whole star system. A couple of weeks. Yeah, it, well, it's it's each you know with planets and moons like it, it was. A, I think it was a couple of weeks for a planet, but a couple you know not much longer for a star system, depending on how many planets and moons you right. have, obviously. But you know, they can make gas giants procedurally. They can make a, a number of different planets procedurally already, and that's without adding in the different biomes to their library that they're going to be uh, expanding on in the future. So, ostensibly. Um, CIG could have a small team uh, of of developers of designers that all they do is you know they, they make virgin star systems and that are unclaimed, unexplored. There's no space stations. There's no settlements. There's no um, ruins. There's no landing zones or anything like that. Um, you know, with, with a variety of planets, some habitable, habitable, some not. You know, some with resources, some not. You know, and, and just make lots of variations um, to uh, to these different planets and the resources on them and the flora and fauna on them. So that way, you know, maybe you find a star system and it's really not that worth that much. Maybe you find a star system and it's a gold mine. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe it's got habitable planets. Maybe it's got you know. Um, gas giants with really valuable gases. Who knows? But with the technology that CIG has developed with Planet Tech V4 and their ability to create planets and moons and and star systems, asteroid belts um, in very short order, they could you know pretty easily have um, uh, uh, as the universe expands, they could seed it with undiscovered star systems and undiscovered jump points just waiting for players to discover. And it wouldn't cost them any server resources because, you know, if there's only one person in the in that star system, it's only going to spin up one uh one server node. You know, it won't it won't cost them all that much. But, you know, maybe that player holds onto the coordinates and they explore it. Maybe that player works with their friends in order to explore the planets and or, or exploit the resources. Or maybe that player is a pirate and he's part of a pirate gang. And this jump point is a perfect stepping off point to ambush, you know, um, traders, you know, on a, on a known, su- known supply route or something like that. Um, 
maybe players might want to go in there and build their base just so they know that their org's base is safe um, from from harm. You could even have it that maybe that new system creates a much shorter path um, to another system that now that you as a, a hauler can exploit, you know, and um, save a ton of money uh, as far as you know, save a ton of you know, a ton in resources and fuel, you know, time and UEC, you know, and you don't tell your competition. But maybe it's worth it for your your hauling org to to keep that uh, that secret route, you know, uh, a secret and keep it to yourselves. You know, there's a bunch of different reasons where, you know, you as a player, um, you and your, you know, uh, either solo or as an org might not want to give up this information, you know, as soon as you come across it. And we, it's very realistic that with CIG's capability that this could be a very real thing um, and could allow for exploration gameplay, but building onto that in ways that are far more interesting than we might have uh, initially given credit for. You know, versus, oh, I scanned the jump point and I navigated it. We, that's it. But that's what I've got for my, uh, oh, the other thing is, um, you know, and, and maybe players do sell that information. Think of the dynamic event that that would generate with, you know, instead of a, a gold rush, it's a system rush. Yeah. With players rushing to explore a, an uncharted star system, miners rushing to, to hit, you know, to, to, search out, you know, an asteroid field in a new system or asteroid belt, um, you know. Yeah, because like it, it, that, that, just that event has so many layers of it because if you sell it, if the UEE gets wind of it, they have to go in first. They, they state claim and say, this is a UEE system. No one's allowed to touch it. We have to go in, we have to survey it, and then we'll decide what we want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll divvy up and see what they want to do if they want to sell the planets or whatnot or how however they want to do it. Um, and if you're you, you a... could have you know massive amounts of players yeah I- interacting with this event and the U the UAE could be completely oblivious yeah just because no one went through the initial uh, official channels you know and that's how a lot of systems came up how they are now like somebody went through them they started colonizing it then the UAE is like wait 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 oh you're already there. You get that planet. We're, we'll take the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Or eminent domain. <laughs> yeah, they've done that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have your legal and illegal miners. Legal miners have to then go back to the UEE and say, hey, I want to take a mining claim for this sector. Illegal mining, just they just, uh, bum rush the system and go mine as much as they can before they get kicked out by you know the UEE. Um, and now, of course, you have settlers or squatters or however you want to do it colonists if there's a green band system um i don't know how regulated or open they are to terraforming at this point um i mean there might be habitable planets you know maybe there mm -hmm. wouldn't i don't i don't think we're gonna be able to get terraforming on our own but it could be something where you know that that could be a great in-game event where you know we have to um support a terraforming operation somebody found a new system this is a terraformable planet um the all you know all of a sudden uh, terraforming platforms appear above it and we need to bring supplies to it you know just like uh, we need yeah. to bring supplies to the javelin in xenothreat how cool of an event would that be that i, I imagine know, players could support terraforming you know i imagine it work a lot like um functions with the ue would work like you don't get to control it but you can have a hand in it so i would imagine 
uh, we would get to a point, not anytime soon, but a point, uh, where you could hire as a as a very large org, a terraforming company to come and terraform a planet. Yeah, who knows? That'd be cool. So that's like way I mean, they don't out even there. like the idea of you know. Could you imagine um, shopping for plants to seed the yeah. world after the terraforming? Well, and if it's you know maybe it's found by um, a smuggler, you know, yeah, um, and you know he you know the, they they can't keep the system all by themselves, but it becomes a new lawless system within you know sort of UE territory, um, and you've got you know a, a, a new pyro, mm-hmm. a, a new player made pyro, or a new player made null. Now imagine like e- player NPC finds a finds a uh, a system doesn't tell anyone and just hoards his his bounty there and before he's able to enjoy it or pass along to his first mate he dies <laughs> like dies in Cap- real life captain no no, no like <laughs> captain flynn style like his entire horde is on this mm-hmm. one planet or island in the in the, the original book Oh, and what if you didn't, like, as a player, what if you didn't, like, actually write down the coordinates to the jump point? Oh. It was, it, it was saved on your computer, on your ship, and you're, yeah. you're, you have a you're catastrophic yeah. failure for your ship or whatever, it crashes, you die as a player. Or even, you, or even you crash on that planet. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so you have to live out, so you live out your days trapped on this planet, right? <laughs> And mm-hmm. so after you after that character dies and you have to make a new character, there's now a planet, a treasure planet. Like, that's amazing. I, I'm just imagining oh. the 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 um the in game chat of somebody waking up at a, a a landing zone hospital after having died in these circumstances. And not being able to get back to their system, not having the coordinates set, you know, saved or something like that, mm-hmm. and them just losing their minds in chat, in game chat, and everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and I imagine, I imagine, uh, global chat will turn to planetary chat eventually, mm-hmm. because yeah, thousands of people on a single chat is going to be broken anyway. Um, also, how would, how would you call for rescue? You know, uh, beacons. It's like, okay, beacons are well, wider. But if you can't, if the beacon is in a system that's undiscovered, no, no, you know, you're just you're screwed. Then that's that's the risk yeah, you take. Yeah, you know, that that the the, the stories uh-huh. that could come from something like this yeah. would be so incredibly epic within the gaming community at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just you know the the ways the different ways you could go that, that it could go are it, when I was thinking about all this as I was doing the research, I'm like, God, you know. There doesn't even have to be any combat whatsoever in this gameplay, and it would be just so incredible and so dynamic and interesting, um, and, and you know could suit you know. It, it just imagine different players' little you know light bulbs going off and that little evil grin like, mm. no, it's my precious. I'm going to keep it. Why shouldn't I? Why yep. shouldn't I have it? Yep. <laughs> it's my system. <laughs> but you also have like the, poss- the possibility of international incidents by accidentally finding a jump point to a Xeon system. <laughs> you have the tragic incidents of accidentally flooding a um, jump point to uh, Vanduul systems. Vanu don't care. You can find jump points to their systems all day, every day. 
um, accidentally uh, make our way to the Krithok. Okay, yeah, that was about to say, like, another in intergalactic incident. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because the Shion don't want us to know about them. So yeah. Maybe uh, some player will roleplay as uh, space commie hippies like Levski, and they'll just set up their commune, you know, or... Um, you know, maybe, you know, the system gets discovered by, you know, would we, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, when we, when we get to be, get to play as aliens, you know, and somebody's role playing as a Tavaran, um, and they set up a new Tavaran diaspora, um, or, you know, in this hidden system or something like that, you know. Yeah, I, I, that, that is one, honestly, one of the, the stretch goals for my org is to be the first human to talk to the Kathak. Like we like our our goals are very wide. Basically, we have talk to Kathak is the end goal of um the exploration, and then cargo divisions. Biggest goal is to be as big as Kovalex. Um, I think science would probably be to start inventing new plants. I haven't fleshed them all out, but yeah, basically, much of the uh that kind of gameplay is we have end goals that are mostly far beyond what most people think is possible in the game. Oh yeah. No. And it just for, for variety's sake too. Yeah. When you, when you talked about plants too, and that brought up when, when people say, you know, and, and I'm not going to say who it was, but <laughs> a certain someone said, Laura is silly. And <sighs> if you go in the Galactopedia and you see, the lore that the narrative team have written for some things that you you think, okay, why did they write so much lore about a house plant? <laughs> you know, a, a popular because uh, this happened as I was doing the digging, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, and I just started, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool looking, and then I read the whole passage, and I'm like, wait a minute, they've got like a page and a half on the story behind. It's over the cactus. A, a, the the cactus thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I read that one the other day yesterday. Yeah, they've got a page and a half, you know, about the story behind how this thing became a popular house plant and where it came from, and it's like, and all I could think about is because I was, you know, I'm like going through all this about, you know, how exploration gameplay could lead to other things, you know, in, in ways that, uh, you know, isn't just the conventional find thing, sell data on thing, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're talking about science gameplay. Yep. This houseplant is science. They, 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 you know, they accidentally crossbred, you know, two plants while bringing a, a native species from Earth to a terraformed planet, and it, it, you know, did whatever plants do in order to create a new species, you know, and that species became very popular for for decoration. And it's like that's science gameplay. They're talking about science gameplay. Um, and they're talking about it right here in the lore, and they've never mentioned anything official about it. But otherwise, why would they go through all that effort, you know, to to create a, a, an hour, a, a page and a half or more's worth of story about a cactus? Um, the only other like kind of thing, and I don't know if they do this much work for it, but they are for for different plants. They do uh, flares for them. Yeah, no, there's flares for them, but you know, this is what the you know, when you look at the, uh, everybody talks about the Carrick Med Bay as just being the Med Bay. There's pl uh, samples of plants in the Med Bay on the props. Mm -hmm. It's more than just a Med Bay; it's a science bay. The Endeavor is a science ship. It ha you know it has modules for being a science ship. You know, 
what do you think you're going to be doing? Oh, I'm just going to grow crops on my endeavor. Or. No, you have one pair of science and one pair of biodomes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to invent new plants to do new things or something like that. That is that is the science gameplay that people are not really thinking about at all because it hasn't been mentioned, but they're writing the lore for it yeah. right now. Because Seiji has not done the uh, the work for it yet, the designs for it yet. Mm-hmm. And... Or the narrative team was just eating some edibles and, and just started typing away. Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, they narrative team is always the first to uh, get onto a new mechanic. They are the pioneers of everything in development. Yeah. And, and, and whoever said a lore was silly, like, doesn't understand how this project runs because it runs on lore. It was a very prominent content creator and it was uh, pretty entertaining. We, we, we shouldn't mention that, though, mention who it was. But, Wait, uh, was it bored? No, no, no! Don't, don't say it! Don't say it! We're, we're not going to knock anyone else. You know. No, people can have their opinions, but yeah, they can have their opinions. You know, I, you know, board is all about the the lore. I mean, okay. it does lore segments too. Okay, I'll stop guessing. It, but it was okay. just a, it, it was a funny thing that occurred in Astropub's Discord, and we're like, really, really, you know, because I mean, what is everything that we just talked about? You know, every, the our spectrum pulses, the scanner anomalies. You know, all of this stuff is things that are in game, but are also heavily influenced uh, by the lore, and were lore first, in game second. You know? Yeah. The, this is not a matter of the chicken or the egg. The the lore always comes first. Whose microphone is Peppery Othme on mine or his? What? Season microphone? <laughs> what? What now? What I do? I don't know what he means. I I I don't know. But yeah, that is a. <laughs> I think that's just about it for this episode. Um, I, I kind of like the the format of breaking it up so that way each episode isn't you know three plus hours long. You know this one's already getting kind of long, but we also we were like. That timer didn't start was already at like 30 minutes when we actually got started because we were, yeah, you know, we didn't start, we started the stream late, but, um, yeah, no, it's a good chat, good, good talk, lots of good information, lots of interesting stuff to, to go over. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we'd have another episode uh, again, we have another episode coming up on Monday. Um, well, we'll be talking about the roadmap update that came out today. We'll also talk about the news regarding Gen 12 um, and um, everything going on with that. We'll we'll discuss the uh, streaming changes from the entity graph. You know that stuff that's coming into 317. We'll have an um, ISC to go over. Oh yeah, and we'll we'll talk about ISC and I I forget what the the SC live is on, but uh, definitely ISC. Yeah, uh, I know we're getting a sprint report like straight out of the gate. A sprint report, and I thought the other thing was it flora and fauna, or yes, 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 yes. or maybe it was just flora. I forget. This weekend starts this. Uh, let's see the ISC. Um, the future of wear and biome accumulation, followed by a sprint report. Oh, that's the stuff for the the derelicts. Oh, okay, okay, so that's derelict stuff, yep. and then oh, that should be really cool. SCL game dev episode with senior concept artist Frederick Dupree. Um, so that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. 
Didn't we just awesome. have a concept artist? For mm. when they started talking about the new Rex. He built a uh some type of a, a Rex scene. So Okay. It'll be interesting. Yeah. And um Again, I am going. I will put up an announcement in all the discords that we always post in um, before I start uh, streaming on Sunday. But that is the plan to stream Sunday, uh, Sunday, e Sunday evening. Uh, it'll either be seven or eight. It'll be either be nine or ten o'clock uh, Eastern. Um, but uh, yeah, if uh, if you feel like it, please join me on Twitch uh, Sunday evening, um, especially if you have any hints, tips, tricks for flying dual stick or using the Toby. Uh, I'm going to be fumbling my way through it. Hopefully it is entertaining, but uh, hopefully I can also slowly get the hang of it. But uh, after watching all the videos of people flying dual stick and using Toby, I, I'm really excited to give it a try, especially with uh, how performative uh, 317 has been in PTU. So hopefully we will have good luck with it. And uh, thank you for joining us in chat. Um, for those of you who are here with us live, and uh, if you watch this on YouTube, please uh, leave us a comment in the comments uh, on anything regarding what we've been talking about, um, or if it's regarding a previous episode. Um, again, we always, uh, if you have more information, we add that to the show notes. We will bring that up in the next episode and, and give you credit. We want to keep things as accurate and inf uh, objectively informative as possible. Um, and again, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for being with us. Nazareth, have anything else, bud? Nope. My brain has gone off for the night and <laughs> taking all the work I got to do tomorrow. But yeah, it's been, it's right. been a good one. Mm-hmm. Good episode. Thanks again. Everybody have a good night. Night night, everyone.